You are listening to 90.1 FM, KKFI, Kansas City Community Radio. Stay tuned for the Heartland Labor Forum, radio that talks back to the boss. Welcome to the Heartland Labor Forum, a weekly show of news, information, and commentary by and for the working people of Kansas City. This show is produced by a team of volunteers from a broad range of workplaces and unions. The views expressed on the Heartland Labor Forum are ours and not necessarily those of KKFI or any unions involved. And welcome to the Heartland Labor Forum. And in case anybody's wondering, our opening song is Step by Step by John McCutcheon. Tonight's show is being underwritten by Blake and Ulig and Bricklayers and Allied Crafts Workers, Local 15. Since 1972, Blake and Ulig has prided itself on providing comprehensive legal representation to labor organizations and their affiliated benefit funds on a local, regional, and national basis. <clears throat> Since its founding in 1865, the International Union of Bricklayers and Allied Crafts Workers has actively fought to improve our members' quality of life on and off the job through access to fair wages, good benefits, safe working conditions, and solidarity among members. Today, we represent bricklayers, stone and marble masons, cement masons, plasters, tile setters, terrasso and mosaic workers, and pointers, cleaners, caulkers. To learn more about how to join, please visit our website at baclocal15.org and give us a call at 816-241-6695. And the Heartland Labor Forum and KKFI thank our underwriters for their support. On tonight's show, between attacks on our public schools and what LGBTQ folk called hate week, the Kansas legislature is full of bizarre agendas. We'll ask Sherman Smith from the Kansas Reflector to reflect on extremism in Topeka. Then, Kansas City Federation of Teachers School related and, and school related personnel, AFT Local 691 President Jason Roberts, has a lot to report, what with the new superintendent and a big win in contract negotiations. In the news, did 2022 have more strikes than 2021? And Elise Martini gets big job with her national union. <clears throat> Our feature at the end of the show is Safety First with Mary Ario. Her stories are shocking investigation on immigrant child labor in America, Department of Labor again cites Lone Jack Missouri cattle processor, American Industrial Hygiene Association launches new website with free resources for hazard protection. And now for the news.
this is the news from our side, March 2nd, 2022. Remember Striketober 2021? Because the Bureau of Labor Statistics stopped tracking strikes of less than 1,000 workers, most strikes weren't documented. That's when the C Cornell University ILR grad students stepped in and started tracking their strike tracking with their strike tracker website and now they've updated their map with 2022 strikes which you can find at striketracker.ilr.cornell.edu they report key findings on strikes and lockouts in 2022 in all there were 424 work stoppages 417 strikes and seven lockouts involving approximately 224,000 workers in 2022. These 424 work stoppages resulted in approximately 4.5 million days lost to strikes. The total number of work stoppages increased by 52% over 2021, and the total number of workers involved in work stoppages increased by about 60%, about 224,000. Also, about one-third of all strikes were in the accommodation and food services industries more than in any other industry. However, these work stoppages involved approximately 7,000 workers, or about 3% of the total number of workers involved in work stoppages in 2022. The vast majority, about 91% of work stoppages in the, in the accommodation and food services industry were led by either Starbucks workers organizing with the Starbucks Workers United campaign or fast food workers organizing with the Fight for 15 campaign. Actually, the majority of strikers were in education, 60%, and about one-third of all strikes were organized by workers who weren't in unions at all. While strike activity in the last couple of years has significantly increased, it's still far lower than it was in earlier decades. Elise Martini, the first woman to head the Kansas City Building Trades Council, is going to Washington, at least to work, if not to live. Elise is a member of, of the operative Plasters and Cement Local Masons 518 in Kansas City since 1980. She was one of their first woman members, women members. Local 518 business agent Kevin Sexton became the international president of the union on February 1st. Congratulations, Kevin. Not surprisingly, he's tapped Alisa for the position in the international union as vice president. That's a tough job with lots of travel servicing locals all over the country. Elise became business manager and financial secretary of the Greater Kansas City Building and Trades Council in 2012. Uh, since then, she has been energetic, innovative, and has become beloved by both labor and management alike. She played a stellar role in the negotiations to create more opportunities for women and minorities in the construction of the new airport, has been active in mentoring women in construction trade, and has played an important role for, of leadership, bringing together unions in the trades with public sector and industrial unions in Kansas City. Last fall, Elise was honored with the first uh, ever National Trade Woman's Lifetime Achievement Award presented to her by North American Building Trade Unions, NABTU, President Steve McGarvey. 
Elise will be missed here in Kansas City, but we're confident she'll go on to be a pioneer for women at the national level. Last month, the members of the Building a Trades Council elected IBEW 124 President Ralph Operas as its new manager. He will be the first Hispanic to head that organization. Congratulations to Ralph as well. That's Ralph Oropesa. Oropesa. Yes, thanks, mm-hmm. Michael. Um, we're abandoning our goofy bill of the award, award this week. The bills are no longer goofy. They're downright dangerous. A stellar example is HCS HJR 43 voted out by the Missouri Senate Elections Committee on Monday. It is now on the Senate calendar. It's no surprise that Missouri Republicans are going after the state's initiative process. After all, the people of Missouri keep using it to win things the legislature won't give them, like higher minimum wage or repeal of the union-busting right-to-work law that was passed in 2017. We also use the initiative for Medicaid expansion and recreational marijuana. Why? Because the Missouri legislature is so gerrymandered that it hasn't reflected the majority of Missourians in years. So, of course, the bruised egos of the overruled reps and senators are lashing out at the very democratic process embedded in the Constitution as a safeguard against minority rule. They have filed 26 bills this year aimed at murdering the citizen initiative, all calculated to make it impossible to win another ballot measure. The bills do a variety of things like requiring 60% for approval or 60% in each of a majority of congressional districts or more signatures on petitions from more congressional districts as if it isn't already an extremely difficult and expensive slog to get the required signatures. HJR 43 has also garnered a totally deceptive ballot description aimed at duping voters into agreeing to it. The description, which will appear on the ballot, starts with, quote, only U.S. citizens and residents who are registered to vote in Missouri are considered legal voters, unquote. Of course, it's already illegal for non-citizens to vote, and it takes several more sentences to get to the real point, which is to require 60% to approve an initiative overturning majority rule. Most likely, this and other constitutional amendments smiting the initiative process will go on the ballot to fail in, to, in fall of 2024. Missouri Jobs with Justice is mounting phone banks for voters to give their state reps and senators a piece of their minds. Finally, we're awarding our prize Union Buster of the Week award to Apple. Apple has a store on the plaza, a very busy and one almost directly across the street from closed Starbucks, where workers organizing seem to provoke the owners right out of their business. <laughs> For the last few months, workers at Apple Store have been quietly organizing with Communications Workers of America. And guess what? Apple pulled the Starbucks. They fired eight of the 10 workers who had worked at the store on trumped-up attendance charges from mid to early February. Workers had been complaining of long hours, work, and low pay, the usual retail workers. Of course, they filed an unfair labor practice charge against Apple with the NLRB. 
Meanwhile, there's not much union activity going on at 227 Nichols Road. So all you Mac and iPhone owners, you know what to do. The news tonight was read by Judy Ansel and Michael Savoie. Just fine, but someday another singer with a pair of hands like mine will coax out songs much prettier, still hiding in its strings, sing stronger, braver words than I could ever sing. And folks are gonna love it. Of this, I'm almost sure. So I take good care of cause I'm borrowing it from her. Pass it along. Pass it along May it land in careful hands when we're gone Carry it for a moment And that was Pass It On by George Mann. Good evening. You're listening to the Heartland Labor Forum on 90.1 KKFI Kansas Community Radio. I'm your host, Christina Disney. On tonight's show, we're going to be talking with Sherman Smith, Editor-in-Chief at the Kansas Reflector, about covering news in a flyover state. Sherman Smith is a, is a 2021 and 2022 Kansas Press Association's Journalist of the Year, and he has written award-winning news stories about the instability of the Kansas foster care system, misconduct by government officials, sexual abuse, technology, education, and the legislature. He previously spent 16 years at the Topeka Capital Journal, and he is also a lifelong Kansan. Thank you so much for joining us, Sherman. Thank you for having me. Well, I mean, Heartland Labor Forum, we cover not just local news, but national, international. But uh, I know work as a journalist, as a Kansas reflector, uh, you really have a focus on a flyover state, a state that sometimes is unfortunately just in the news for the wrong reasons or there's just so much to cover about it. Um, When it comes to that, for on the Kansas reflector, how do you decide what to cover? Uh, do you know that during the legislative session, you focus on a lot on the legislative and legislature and politics, but how do you decide what's going to be covered on and other issues? Yeah, thank you for that question. You know, sometimes it feels like we're drinking from a fire hose over there because there are so many compelling news stories of public interest. Uh, and so it's really kind of a, a balance of finding what what are the most important stories, the things that are going to affect the most Kansans. Um, But we also put an emphasis on trying to find information that powerful people don't want you to know. Uh, And so that all plays into the the decision-making about where we're turning our attention from day to day. We have uh, four full-time reporters, including myself, and then an opinion editor who is also bringing in uh, a, a number of 
contributors. Uh, our, our goal there is to elevate voices who are usually left out of the public policy debate. And so we can bring a lot of people together to to cover a wide range of topics. And at this point in the session, you know, we've, we've heard a, a lot of testimony on bills. They're getting ready to kind of transition to a point where they'll, they'll have a lot of debate on the floor and, and try to pass some more bills. Um, but so far, the the focus for me is really on when we go into these committee hearings, it's, it's such a rich storytelling opportunity. You have a lot of Kansans who are passionate about specific issues, uh, who line up to testify from all over the state, from all over the state. Sometimes these are people who may otherwise never come to the state house. This may be the only time they come here, but they're they're really passionate about um, wind turbines or tax policy or Medicaid expansion, or as we heard this afternoon, uh, homelessness in, in the state. And so we try to tell these, these stories from everyday Kansans um, from their perspective when we can um, and, and take advantage of this opportunity where where we have them coming to to us basically, um, and so that that dictates a lot of what we do early in the legislative session. Uh, I mean, it's important to give everyone voice because there's so much in the news. Too often you hear these big ideas rehashed again and again. I feel like the reflectors a lot more nuance in voices, but also. I know if anyone follows the reflector, you read and articles, you guys are not afraid to jump right in there. The criticism uh, of extremists in Kansas pol uh, politics. So what do you think about the idea? Everyone says that journalists has to be purely neutral. Can they be truly neutral? And what about being balanced in coverage? Yeah. Our, so our news stories are, are neutral and, and non-biased. They're fact-based. That's the the approach. the The opinion section, of course, clearly labeled as opinion. Um, you know, it's that that's an opportunity to really analyze what's going on here. But I I would say from our news coverage perspective, we're not concerned with the talking points that legislative leadership or the the governor is is handing out on a particular issue. And so, you know, if somebody says, for instance, this is about school choice, but it's really you look at the bill and you see that 135 million is going to students who are already enrolled in private schools. It's pretty clear that this is not a school choice bill. And so we're not afraid to point that out. And no, that should be. And that is something that is fact-based. And a lot of times I know sometimes people think of it as being biased one way or another, but whenever you actually do your work and you jump in and you look at these bills and just just saying, hey, there's a bill specifically over this, you're looking more deeper into it. And I think that is something that when it comes to talk about flyover states and I don't know, getting deeper into the discussion uh, gives a little more depth to politics in states like Kansas or even Missouri. Yeah, I would say too that one thing that I think sometimes sets us apart from other statehouse reporters or, or outlets, um, we we aren't writing to people who are obsessed with state government news, who who live and breathe the legislature stuff, who are in the statehouse regularly. We're not writing to lobbyists and uh, agency people and the lawmakers and their staff. Right? We're writing to, as I tell my staff, we're writing to the grungy populace. You know, we're trying to talk to people all across Kansas about issues that are going to impact the impact their daily lives. Um, I really, I, I don't even care for politics. Like um, I, I, I tell people sometimes I could not be a, a an effective reporter for covering the Kansas City Chiefs because I'm such a fan of the Kansas City Chiefs. Um, 
I am not a fan of politics, and and maybe that comes through in some of the the reporting. Um, but we, you know, that I think that shapes how we tell our stories. No, that's a good way to think about it because if you're not a fan of something, you're really going to look at it, and I mean, you're not just going to say. Way you like a drink from your perspective, you're actually going to say what you see, the facts are already being presented. So I, I think that's a pretty good way to look at it. And actually talk about the current legislative position uh, session that's going on right now. So the Heartland Labor Forum, we always like to be putting out there the goofiest bill awards in either Missouri or Kansas, um, what's happening either in Topeka or Jefferson City. So in your opinion, what Kansas bill would you put as a nominee this year? Oh, I'd have to to put some thought into that. You know, there's there are a lot of strange bills floating around, but I think the one that maybe is the most outrageous bill I have ever seen in, I think this may be the sixth legislative session that I'm covering is a a bill that would overhaul the ethics commission and laws governing campaign finance, um, how people run their elections. And it's because uh, the the ethics commission is investigating serious violations of the law um, uh, that have been alleged toward members of the legislature, uh, Republicans in the legislature, their political action committees, um, are under investigation. And so they want to make all the activity that they're under investigation for completely legal. Um, no more registering political action committees, unlimited campaign donations, allow political action committees and candidates to interact with each other and, and work in harmony. Uh, and then there's even a part of this bill that would open up who could actually serve on the ethics commission so that you could actually put lobbyists and people who are recently in office um, without concern on the ethics commission. It would, it would basically take away the need to have an ethics commission. Uh, it's an extraordinary bill uh, passed out of committee. We'll see if, if the House attempts to to pass it or what the Senate would do with it. Uh, no, that is, I think goofiest is not the right word. It's strange or just ones that I feel like we're having all these new bills being presented and being passed that didn't think like, oh, that one's not going to pass. That one's not going to go anywhere. But they started going somewhere. It's like, ugh, kind of more concerning. I think I will put it as what's the most concerning bill that's going through Kansas. So, no, I agree with you there. We see a lot more of that kind of legislation where it may be, as we saw today on this uh, this bill that deals with homelessness, um, it's actually the model legislation from the Cicero Institute in Texas. Uh, it was passed by the, the Missouri legislature last year and is already having an impact in Kansas City. It criminalizes homelessness. Uh, and uh, this is one think tank in, in Texas with model legislation, the one and only proponent to come into this committee and say, this is a great idea. But there were 60 people who lined up to say, this is a really bad idea. Uh, and you just wonder why, why are we entertaining this idea? Who, you know, who is driving it? Uh, I asked the the chairman that question, Francis Sauerkamp, a Republican from St. Mary's. Uh, and he just said, well, this is a very important issue. And I said, but, but there are a lot of, a lot of groups from uh, states all around the, the country who have very important issues that they want to tackle. Why, why are we doing this bill? And he just said, this is a very important issue. Um, so, you know, we, we don't even know why we're entertaining some of these bills. Uh, 
even if the only support for them is from somebody several states away? Uh, no, that absolutely. And I think going back to a point where you have people who are speaking out uh, against the bill is, I think, being part of Refugger, looking at, at all these issues that you do get to see people who you you see sometimes the absolute worst and you see these bills, you see what's happening in Topeka. But also, I feel like you see the side of people speaking up and saying something, not being completely quiet that you don't normally see yeah. in national news. But you since you do get the voices of everyday people, um, you see people speak up, say something, um, use their voice and advocate for themselves when other places may not necessarily report on that. There is a, a, a man today who spoke in that committee uh, with a, a very personal, passionate story. He was actually hesitant to tell me the spelling of his name because he's he's shy about being in the public for the first time. But he said... You know, he, his his dad was a pastor. They lived in a priory, he and his mom and his dad. And then they woke up one morning and his dad had left them. And so the church didn't let them stay in the priory anymore. His mother had only been a preacher's wife. And so they were immediately homeless. And she tried to find jobs without much qualifications, had an income, but couldn't afford a, a house. They, they were living alongside a river for a while. And he said, I, I really oppose this bill because you would make my mother a criminal. And she worked as hard as she could to to try to, to give me a better life. And, and that's why people need to speak out when they hear these things and have those voices. Uh, for those of you who are just joining us, uh, we are talking. Uh, we're talking to Sherman Smith, editor-in-chief of the Kansas Reflector, about covering news in flyover states. So, yes, that. That's why, especially, we need to hear more voices speaking out on this because people can be nervous speaking on these issues, speaking out because, uh, but when you hear other people doing it, when you read about it, you're more likely to be engaged. I feel like if, you know, there, there are a lot of other state house reporters who are doing really good work as well, but the stories that, that we're writing, I think, add to that body of work. And some of these are stories that otherwise nobody else is going to tell. And part of our public service mission is that we allow others to use our stories for free, other news outlets. And so we're able to have stories, I think about 30 newspapers across the state every week. And so we are reaching people in, in rural areas of the state where they have a, a small local paper that is dedicated to covering that community, but does not have the resources to send somebody to the state house. Uh, and so, there are readers now who, for the first time, perhaps have access to this kind of information, these stories. Exactly. Uh, heading on uh, back to some of the, the current legislative session that's going on right now. Um, you guys talked about but on at the reflector, but why do you think the majority of the legislators are so obsessed with transports when the reflector has reported that there's only been two trans athletes in all of Kansas? You know, I think this is a an issue that is politically advantageous to the the Republicans who are pushing it, and and that's why they're pushing it. We saw polling last year that showed it, I think roughly two thirds of of Kansans uh, actually support this legislation, uh, and I think it, at the heart of this is probably a lack of of understanding or a fear of what it means to be transgender. Uh, and I do think there are legislators who very sincerely uh, believe that 
that this is an important issue um, and maybe don't understand all of the the intricacies of it either. But, you know, again, this is an issue that would only apply to, to two athletes this year in public schools. It would also apply to uh, athletes at, at the collegiate level. Uh, and so I, I just think this is more of a, a kind of culture war thing that that can get a lot of attention, can can shore up their base, that seems to be in in the majority public favor. Um, there's not a lot of concern for the the damage that this is doing to to the mental health of transgender kids. Uh, but but that's part of the motivation here is is moving forward. There's also of course a faith based component to this. Um, the the person who led the charge in the house. Uh, as I reported, when she met with the caucus to the Republican House caucus to go over this, was really excited that they were doing this on Ash Wednesday. And do you think the same kind of mentality is with the push for privatization uh, in our, of our public school systems, the voucher school, school choice and the whole C, uh, CRT scan? Do you feel like that's in the kind of the same um kind of the same wave going on? Well, I think that there's a, a a long, deep frustration from Republicans over being forced by the Constitution to adequately fund public schools. And so that places them in the crosshairs. This is just kind of a, a, a long line of legislation that is antagonistic toward public schools. But also there's a, a very real interest here in supporting uh, not just the Catholic Church, but primarily the Catholic Church by funneling, you know, as the fiscal note of this bill said on one of the the, the plans, it would be $135 million to, again, students who are already in private schools. You know, that's enough money to, to get people's attention. Uh, yeah, it has gotten a lot of people's attention. And, well, we want to Thank you for reporting on this and reporting on these issues because it is important. Everyone at the Reflector is doing an amazing job uh, because we need to have these voices heard and listened to. Thank you for the those kind words and thank you for, for reading and having me here. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. And that was Sherman Smith. Edit- Catch the local showcase every Thursday night on KKFI, where we highlight local musicians, poets, artists, and events from the Kansas City and surrounding areas. Curated and brought to you by a different KKFI host from week to week. That's the local showcase every Thursday night from 8 to 10 p.m. Right here on 90.1 FM KKFI. Let's move toward a brighter day. Did you know that you could donate that unwanted car, boat, truck, or motorcycle to KKFI Radio and get a tax deduction for your donation? Find out more by calling KKFI at 816-931-3122 and ask for the development director.
Judy Morgan, President Emeritus of the American Federation of Teachers, Local 691, and former Missouri State Representative. The song you just heard playing was Stand Together by Phil Monsoor. From a new superintendent to a big win in contract negotiations, Jason Roberts, president of the Kansas City Federation of Teachers and school-related personnel, AFT Local 691, has been busy representing and serving his membership in the Kansas City Public Schools. This evening, Jason will talk to us about the recently negotiated bargaining agreement for the certified staff and the new superintendent for the Kansas City Public Schools. Big welcome to my friend and union colleague, Jason Roberts. Thank you. Well, let's first start by talking about the new superintendent of the Kansas City Public Schools, Dr. Jennifer Collier. She's homegrown, working in the district for 23 years and rising from from substitute teacher to teacher to principal to HR director to deputy superintendent to interim superintendent. After a national search that yielded 17 applicants, the school board voted unanimously to offer the job to Dr. Collier just last week. Jason, what's your reaction to this news as president? President of the union. I think it's great news for AFT. Uh, I've made no bones about saying last Wednesday was a huge win for AFT in two areas. We got the superintendent we wanted and we got the contract we negotiated. So I am excited and it's always good to have a superintendent that is willing to work with the union, but it's even more powerful for me because she was a member of the. Yes. So having someone that was once a member of this local rise to superintendent mm-hmm. is, a, is a powerful place to be. And the board voted on both of those last Wednesday night, right? The new superintendent and the approval of the contract negotiations. That's correct. And to Dr. Collier's uh, credit, um, you would have thought it was a love fest when she was talking about <laughs> uh, the reasons they needed to ratify our contract. Oh, that's 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 really great. I'm glad to, I'm glad to hear that. That's wonderful news. Well, now let's turn. Uh, to talk about the bargaining agreement for the certified staff that was approved by both your membership and, as we said, the school board. So it's a done deal. So first, tell our listeners who the certified staff are, and let's talk about their pay schedule and what it looks like, what it will look like in the upcoming agreement. So the certified staff are our classroom teachers, librarians, counselors, our SPED process coordinators. Tell, tell, people, um, tell people what SPED is. Uh, special education. Okay. The special education process coordinators are people that kind of oversee the implementation of IEPs across the district. They're also in our certified unit. Um, And I think what we're most proud of at this point is that through bargaining, and I can tell you it was very difficult. uh, I dug in for days on salary. (laughs) Uh, We are number one in the state at $46,650. Uh, and also, I'm I'm proud to be the first union president to negotiate someone classified as a teacher to make over one hundred thousand dollars, and they will make one hundred and one thousand four hundred and fifty. Oh, that's amazing! And and did you did you add steps to the schedule uh, and steps, or whereas the as people gain another year of experience, they move up on the salary schedule? Did you add steps this contract, or has that been? Did you do that another? I did that last year. So the first salary scale that I did for certified staff, we went from 25 to 30. 
And then we fully funded that in this contract. And that that's really meaningful because that means those people who have really committed themselves to the district, they don't get stuck at the top where they maybe won't get raises. They'll be able to continue progressing. So I think that's really important. And that's a that's a great win for you. We so also think- did a longevity incentive. So if you have been with us for 30 years and you are stuck, you did an additional $1,500. And that does count towards retirement. Oh, that's good. Oh, that's good because that's always a big issue when you just get kind of a bonus that doesn't necessarily count toward your retirement. But if that counts toward your retirement, that's that's excellent. So, um, well, that sounds like really great wins. And you say that you're first in the state and the beginning teacher and at the top. And at the top. Wow, yep. that's that's amazing because I know when I was president, we always uh, we were fighting to to just get even with the other surrounding districts. We were always below, so that's really I'm really glad to hear that teachers are going to be compensated and paid what they're worth in the Kansas City Public Schools. Um, and you got a historic win regarding the use of family medical leave. So talk to our listeners about that one. So KCPS and AFT 691 are the first district in union in education in the state of Missouri to bargain uh, and agree to a paid uh, parental leave for birth or adoption. And it is for both parents, uh, for the mother and the father. Uh, It is not where we wanted to land. We obviously came in very high with the amount of time that we were requesting. We settled on two weeks before FMLA is implemented. And while that's not ideal and and not necessarily where the private sector is, it is a huge win in the public sector Mm -hmm. because for education, it just has not been bargained by any local. Uh, So being the first to do that, I'm really proud of. It was a union position. It was something we were willing to pick it over. Uh, And 10 days for teachers before they use their PTO means that even if they're a first year teacher, we will ensure them four and a half, almost five weeks of paid leave, which really gets you very close to that six week mark that doctors say you can kind of fully go back. Well, I know when I had, you know, of course, I was a public school teacher in the Kansas City Public Schools for 29 years. And when I had my daughter, it was early in my tenure. And those 10 extra days would have been paid days would have been so helpful to me. I had to basically use all my sick leave. And then when I came back, I had no sick leave left. You know, so when my daughter got sick that first year, I was either going to be either my husband pretty much took the took up the slack and he had to take off because I had no sick leave left. But if you were a single parent, that would be pretty devastating to you because you'd be losing money. It's especially important because what used to exist was a sick, a sick leave bank. We no longer have that. That was negotiated out of the contract several years ago. Right. So we didn't even have that to fall back on. So doing something for uh, our parents in the district to show that you take care of other people's children and now the district is going to invest in you and your own, I think is a big win. Well, I remember when we, I think it was under Norm Hudson that we instituted that sick leave bank where members could actually, I believe, donate a certain amount of sick time. And then if someone did run out of their sick leave with a documented, you know, reason for why they needed more, then they could tap into that. So why did, did, do you know why why that was gotten rid of? Um. It was it was taken out of the contract in probably 2013 or 14. Uh, it was a district proposition to get rid of it because it was a nightmare for them to manage. 
for me, that doesn't mean anything. I would have fought to keep it. I wish we still had it. Um, but it was, shall we say, very easily agreed to to get rid of the sick leave bank. So I remember, I think I'm because that was later on in my tenure, and I, I I thought it was a I thought it was a good thing to have because we do have people that ran out of sick leave and then they just weren't being paid. But congratulations on that. That's really a really a great win. Another thing that is so important to teachers in the classroom is their planning time. And that's when they research and plan lessons, they grade papers, they gather materials for lessons, they contact parents. And if, if they don't have that planning time, then they end up doing all that after school. And they don't get everything done anyway, so they're going to do some stuff after school. But at least it gives them some time during the day to focus on the things that the kids need. Right. And I think your contract really made a great improvement in planning time for teachers. So uh, talk about that. So the language that we had previously going into negotiations was that an administrator could meet with you to go over evaluation feedback, performance issues, IEPs, PLCs, five days a week. So in essence, an administrator could take every one of your planning periods and make you do everything at home. And this is another area where the union dug in uh, and we were able to take it from five down to two. So you will be guaranteed three planning periods a week, uh, which will be right around 150 minutes of guaranteed time um, that is yours to do what you need to do for your classroom. And while obviously our first go around was no meetings during plan time, mm -hmm. we did understand that coming from five to zero was a huge jump. So we did compromise at two, but that is still a victory for the union that we can really protect that time. And then if teachers have to sub during that time, we increase the amount of money that they get paid to sub. So there's additional compensation. Because I guess, in, in, I would guess in some cases, the district, if they really have to have a sub, they could require a teacher to sub yes. because you have to have somebody taking care of those kids. Correct. So at least you got um, some increase in that pay. Well, congratulations. I know when I when I was a teacher, we still had all five planning periods, and I think it was that way during most of the time I was president, but it obviously prior to you, that got lost. It and, did. Uh, from five to zero, it sounds like. I mean, yes. They, they had really zero, could conceivably have zero planning time. That's correct. So that's great. That I know one of your negotiating team members told me that she just, that was like really, she was thrilled about that, that she would now have three periods where she knew that was definite. She would be able to plan during those periods. Tonight on the Heartland Labor Forum, we're talking with Jason Roberts, president of the AFT Local 691. Jason, what do you consider the biggest win in your contract, in your new contract? Um, maybe there's more. Honestly, maybe there's that, more than one. <laughs> that honestly is a hard question to answer because I am so proud of this document. Um, I would say perhaps there are two that might fly under the radar. The first one is I was able to negotiate out displacement language, which had been in our contract for decades. That would say that if anyone wants to challenge AFT as the local. Uh, local union for KCPS, they could do so under certain conditions and they would get signatures and you had to have a certain percentage and present it to the superintendent. All of that language is out. AFT is 110% the only union that can represent certified staff in this district. I'm very proud of that. 
although that's not something the membership may necessarily feel, it is something that has solidified 691 forever, as long as this district exists. Um, when it comes to other things, I'm really proud to be the first president to have paid parental leave. Mm-hmm. Well, it's not where I wanted to to land. I ran a contract campaign that was entitled Victories for Women Are Victories for All. Mm-hmm. And I asked my negotiating team to look at this contract through the lens of women. And that everything we bargained had to be good for women because women were primarily our membership, mm-hmm. primarily the teachers. And in my opinion, for far too long, we have had policies and language that have not benefited women. But the time is now with a predecessor that was a woman and the HR uh, predecessor was a woman, uh, two men coming in. We had an opportunity to show that we are standing in solidarity and we are changing these policies. And I am proud of that. That's good. So what percentage of your membership is of the teachers in the district are women? I would guess. Definitely over 80. Over 80. I was going to say 70, but it's over 80. Okay. so Because probably almost just traditionally, it seems like so many elementary school teachers are women, not as many men for whatever reason don't go into that. It's a little it's more equally distributed at the secondary level, but definitely overwhelmingly women at the elementary. That's great. You know, I was going to go back to the. somebody being able to challenge uh, the union. As I recall, the language was every two years, another uh, union, like say NEA, the National Education Association or the Missouri State Teachers Association could actually come in and say, we wanna challenge who's representing the teachers or the certified staff. And then if they got X number of, I can't remember how many signatures. 30%, then they could challenge and you'd have a vote, which kind of creates some instability, I think, in yes. the in the union. So that's that's why that's important. I think that's why that's important because it takes away that instability. Yes. I mean, you're really stable now. Okay. Was there anything left on the table that you're disappointed about? You mentioned uh, family medical leave that you would have liked to have gotten more than 10 days, but 10 days is really great. It is. And, and there is a financial cost to that. Um, that the district is assuming. Um, I, I certainly think anytime you negotiate, you go in with big lofty dreams. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and, and I certainly did that in my proposals. Uh, I think the one thing that I did not get that I really wanted was a proposal that if you had more than the allotted uh, accumulated days, so a teacher can have 200 PTO days. I gave a proposal that if you had more than that, you could opt by filling out a form twice a year to be paid oh. your calculated rate for any of those excess days, much like we do in classified for vacation days. Mm. I really wanted people who had been faithful to this district to be able to kind of get cashed out on those days mm-hmm. instead of lose them. And we did not get that. It was rejected. And I proposed it three times in our mm-hmm. back and forth, and, and I never got anywhere. And so we dropped it. That is something I am disappointed about. Well, I think um, those 200 days has been in the contract for eons. Mm-hmm. Yes. No, I mean, it's really been a lot. So if you ever get that, that will be really something because 200 days is still 
pretty good. I mean, it is. that's 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 a lot of cash that some people leave the district with if they've accumulated those. But uh, that was a good goal to go for. So and I know you will keep trying to sometimes you know, the first time you keep trying. So that's great. OK, I want to talk a bit about the dress code in the contract. I, I uh, one of my disappointments when I was president was we put a kind of stupid thing in the contract about the dress code that had to do with jeans. One of those things I really didn't want to do. And I fought, fought, fought. But finally, the district gave us something else we really wanted. So we backed off and let them have what they wanted on the dress code. But you got it changed. So, uh, and I'm glad you did. So talk about how you got that, what that change was. So previously, the dress code in my entire tenure in the classroom was business casual. Slacks and polos and suits and dresses and skirts and all of that, uh, which would have been what came in under your contract. And um, I, I'm happy to undo that. I'm happy uh, you did too. <laughs> uh, teachers to now I thought wear it was pretty stupid. <laughs> teachers can wear jeans and t-shirts Monday through Friday, as long as the jeans do not have rips or holes. Okay. So we're going to allow our teachers to be in jeans and t-shirts and to be comfortable <laughs> while they show up to work. I think that's great because at least, at least like elementary school teachers, art teachers, I mean, they're on the floor with the kids and, you know, jeans are perfectly, they're pretty much considered okay now everywhere. So. Yeah. I want to talk about this. Fred Wickham, who has served as our union's attorney, I'm not sure. Is it, I know it's over 30 years. Is That's it right. more than 30 years? It's about 35. 35 years. And he's a good friend of both of us. Um, mm-hmm. I think we both love Fred Wickham. Stated that this contract was the strongest one he had seen during his tenure. So what do you believe led to your success in this year's contract negotiations? Uh, I think there are two kind of hallmarks in the way that I negotiate that that might be different than all of my predecessors, I don't know, but it's definitely different than how I was trained to bargain. The first one is I bargain article by article from the beginning to the end. So we did article one, you sign a TA, you close article one, you go to article two, you bargain it, you sign a TA, you close article two. What that allows you to do is keep bargaining organized, but it chops Mm -hmm. it up so that you can't bargain something in Article 2 in relation to something in Article 12. Mm -hmm. So as long as you're isolating each article, you can't use leverage somewhere else. I think that benefits AFT. The second thing that I do a lot of is I use storytelling in negotiations. I will make a big deal about something, and then I will ask a teammate who has already been assigned to tell their story. And then they have the district has to leave and come back and tell us why that story was invalid. That's a really tough place to be in management. That sounds good. Okay. Well, I wish we had more time, but we're out of time. Thank you, Jason Roberts, president of the KC Federation of Teachers and School-Related Personnel, AFT Local 691, for coming on the Heartland Labor Forum this evening. And congratulations on both a new superintendent and a very successful negotiating session this year. Hello, this is Mary Ario for Safety First. First, shocking investigation on child labor in America. From www.motherjones.com and nyt.com for February 25th. 
Cheerios, Fruit of the Loom, Cheetos. What do all these brands have in common? They've all relied on the exploited labor of migrant children, according to the New York Times' latest investigation. Due to economic desperation exacerbated by the pandemic, tens of thousands of children have been crossing into the U.S. without their parents. The number of unaccompanied minors arriving at the border jumped to 130,000 in 2022, three times what it was five years prior. Largely from Central America, these youth can be found all over the country, often working factory jobs for some of the U.S. most recognizable brands. The Times spoke with more than 100 migrant child workers in 20 states who described jobs that were grinding them into exhaustion and fears that they had become trapped in circumstances they never could have imagined. The Times examination also drew on court and inspection records and interviews with hundreds of lawyers, social workers, educators, and law enforcement officials. In town after town, children scrub dishes late at night. They run milking machines in Vermont and deliver meals in New York City. Girls as young as 13 wash hotel sheets in Virginia. Hearthside Manufacturing, a company heavily implicated in the investigation, makes and packages food for Frito-Lay, General Mills, and Quaker Oats. It has been cited by the Occupational Safety and Health Administration, OSHA, for 34 violations since 2019, with 11 employees suffering amputations in that time. In a rush to place unaccompanied migrant children out of shelters, is the U.S. government allowing unwittingly poorly vetted sponsors to promote child trafficking? Read the entire New York Times article. Next, U.S. Department of Labor again cites Lone Jack, Missouri cattle processor from www.osha.gov news release for February 6th. Dry ice used to keep meat safe at safe temperatures emits carbon dioxide gas. Excessive exposure can cause headache, dizziness, breathing difficulty, confusion, and at high enough levels, death. It displaces oxygen in the air. OSHA investigators allege that, despite knowing hazardous levels of carbon dioxide existed, ZMDR LLC, which operates as Republic Foods, did not put an employee monitoring program in place or implement effective engineering controls to limit worker exposure. In September 2022, OSHA measurements showed the company allowed employees to be exposed to carbon dioxide ranging from 7,100 to 10,000 parts per million, far exceeding the OSHA permissible exposure level of 5,000 parts per million. OSHA cited the company in November 2022 for allowing the same hazard to exist. OSHA proposed $574,000 in penalties for two willful, four repeat, and seven serious safety and health violations. In addition to hazardous levels of carbon dioxide, inspectors found the company exposed workers to slip, trip, and fall hazards, as well as other violations. Based in Lone Jack, Republic Foods produces prime choice and select cuts of beef for retail and food service customers. The company has 15 business days from receipt of citations and penalties to comply, request an informal conference, or contest the findings. Finally, American Industrial Hygiene Association launches new website with free resources for hazard pr- protection. From www.aiha.org, press release for February 28th. The website, healthierworkplaces.org, offers free resources geared toward employers, employees, and consumers on hazards they may face both at the workplace and at home. These resources are divided into three sections. Under the Consumer Health and Safety Resources, users can find detailed information on nine topics, including air quality, hearing, mold, and disaster. 
The Workplace Resources webpage contains information on various industries as well as self-employment topics. The third section, called the Video Podcast Series, features episodes of the AIHA Healthier Workplaces show. The show publishes new episodes twice per month. This is Mary Ariel for Safety First. And this is Judy Ansel with our Heartland Labor Forum calendar. On Sunday, March 5th, 9.30 a.m., the UU Forum is the good and the bad of entertainment media in the LGBTQIA plus people with Richard Thompson. That's at the UU Church, 4501 Walnut, or online if you go to allsoulskc.org, you can get a link. Celebrate International Women's Day with Poetry at UMKC, Wednesday, March 8th, 6.30 p.m., There's a register link, and you're going to find it on our calendar if you go to the Heartland Labor Forum Facebook page. Workers' Voice Summit, hosted by the U.S. Department of Labor, Thursday, March 9th, 9 to 11 a.m. Online, register at another one. You go to to our Facebook page if you want it, or go to the uh, U.S. Department of Labor in Kansas City and look for an event. Know your rights and how to enforce them. Missouri Women's Political Caucus panel discussion on Americans United for Separation of Church and State suit against the Missouri abortion ban, Tuesday, March 14th, 6.30 p.m. Register for virtual event at mowpc.org. That's all the time we have. You can find more of our calendar, again, on the Heartland Labor Forum Facebook page. Tune in next week to the Heartland Labor Forum. Our show is Staffing Our Hospitals, Nurses versus HCA, and The Cost of Worker Misclassification. The Heartland Labor Forum is a member of the Labor Radio Podcast Network. Check out the rich diversity of programming related to workers and unions at laborradionetwork.org. Thanks to tonight's engineer, Stephen Hill, and welcome back, Stephen. Stay tuned for the Thursday night special. It's Next Step Forward with Jasmine Jones. And we're going to hear about a yummy new restaurant. And please fill out our listener survey at kkfi.org and tell us what your favorite shows are. Hint, Heartland Labor Forum. listening to the Heartland Labor Forum, a show by and about workers, our workplaces, and our labor movement. We are radio that talks back to the boss, and you can talk back to us, too. Send us your feedback, your workplace stories, news, and ideas for shows to Forum kkfi at gmail.com. Our website, where we archive shows and post our upcoming ones, is heartlandlaborforum.org. The views expressed on this show are ours and not necessarily those of KKFI or any of the unions involved. Tune in every Thursday evening at 6 or to our rebroadcast Friday mornings at 5 right here, 90.1 FM. We still got our pride, cause we are the working class and that's the place to be. He said if I were Frank Sinatra, I'd pull strings and through political pull you'd be on top of the globe.